Well, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm Peter Salmon. I'm our lead pastor here. If I haven't met you yet, um, I want to welcome you here in the sanctuary and also in the worship center this morning. We are studying the Gospel of Mark right now in a series called Discover Jesus. So just want to invite you, if you have your Bible, to go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Um, it is in the New Testament. It is one of the four Gospels that is a, a gospel account of Jesus' life, basically a biography of Jesus' life. Uh, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Mark is the, the second that you'll scroll to or flip to in the New Testament. If you have a Bible app on your phone, you can follow along there as well. Uh, just want to encourage you, especially in this series, we've been encouraging you to follow along, to read along, to study along for yourself. I've been so encouraged to hear about people that have invited friends to read the Gospel of Mark with them, even during this season. And uh, we uh, really believe that God's Word has uh, a profound impact on our life, and we're going to see that in God's Word this morning. So Mark chapter 3, and we're going to get into it a little bit today, a little deeper, but um, we have been following these Discovery Bible Study questions, uh, questions that anyone can use to discover um, Scripture for themselves or to read through the Bible with someone else and just answer together these simple questions. How much easier does it get? What did I discover about Jesus here? Uh, What did I discover about people, about us, about humanity? What's Jesus asking of me personally? And then who's someone that I could share what I've learned with here? Maybe my spouse, maybe uh, a friend, maybe a sibling, maybe a parent, Um, maybe someone that, you know, has been asking a lot of curious questions about who Jesus is. So this morning, Mark chapter 3. I want to summarize Mark chapter 3, and then we're going to jump into a chunk a little deeper in Mark chapter 4. We're not going to have time to cover every single verse of these two chapter sections. So uh, again, we're encouraging you to study on your own, but I just want to summarize real quick some of what happens in Mark chapter 3, because it's uh, very important to what we're going to dive into in Mark chapter 4. Mark 3, verse 1, Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they, that is the the Jewish religious leaders, uh, were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? to save life or to kill. But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their heart and told the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. Jesus heals this man, but notice how he's grieved and has a righteous anger at the hardness of heart of the Pharisees who don't believe in him and instead are plotting to kill him. The next section here is verse 7 through 12. If you see it in your Bible, uh, there's a lot that happens in sections 7 through 12, but I kind of picture it as uh, almost a montage in a movie that's showing a lot of different events, probably covering weeks and months of Jesus' life and ministry, him going around to many different places and performing incredible miracles, healing, casting out demons, 
And these, these demons, when they come out of, of people, when they recognize him, they say, you are the son of God. Um, they proclaim this about Jesus. But Jesus, interestingly, shushes them and says, hey, don't tell anyone about this. Strange, right? We'll get back to that a little later. But you, you can write down in your notes, if you're taking notes on your sermon guide, just on that first question, what do we learn about Jesus here? You can write down that Jesus is the Son of God. Even the demons recognize this. You can say that he's a healer, he's a miracle worker, he has authority over evil. Now, in spite of everything that's happening in verses 7 through 12, this incredible montage of healings and miracles and proclaiming the good news of the gospel all throughout Israel, there's still people that don't believe. There's many that are hard-hearted, like the, like the Pharisees that we see at the beginning of the chapter, the scribes, the religious leaders. I mean, these people should have been the first ones to see it coming. And to recognize the Messiah, Jesus, when he comes. But it's not just them. It's also Jesus' mother and brothers. Look at the next uh, section here in verse 20. As we continue on, Jesus, verse 20, entered a house. The crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. So many people packed into this house. When his family heard this... uh, particularly his mother and brothers is what it's referring to here. They set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said he's possessed by Beelzebul. He drives out demons by the ruler of demons. So what do we learn from this? What does this say about us as humans, as people? Many believed in Jesus, but there were many that were hard-hearted, the Pharisees, the scribes, even his mother and brothers. And later in verse 31, they're calling to Jesus, saying, come on home, man. Come on home. Knock this off. You're out of your mind. What we see about humanity here is that Jesus, even when he clearly reveals himself, there are many that reject him because of their hardness of heart. It's at this point that Jesus tells a parable. As we move into chapter 4, Jesus tells a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning where Jesus uses simple everyday language and imagery to help people understand profound truths. In fact, maybe you didn't know, but a third of Jesus' teaching is in story form or parable Form. And in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 3, we see one of the most famous of Jesus' parables, the parable of the sower, or the parable of the four soils. Look at verse 3 of chapter 4 with me. Jesus says, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground and it grew up producing fruit that increased 30 and 60 and 100 times. 
Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning. God, we want to be those who have open ears, open hearts, soft hearts, good soil to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus here teaches a parable about farming. And even though we're in Iowa, let me ask, how many of you grew up on a farm? How many of you are currently farmers? (laughs) Even though we are in Iowa, not many of us anymore are farmers. Farming looks a little different than it did a few years ago. It looks really different than it did 2,000 years ago. Uh, This idea of a sower sowing seeds on the ground is a little foreign. I've always wondered, you know, if Jesus were to tell this parable in modern day, would he say something like, you know, the farmer got out his 48-row planter (laughs) and filled it with seed and hooked up his 9,000 series John Deere quad track, right? And started tilling or planting in his fields. And, and wouldn't that be a little strange to imagine me just walking up here this morning and beginning to preach and saying, hey, a farmer put seed in his planter and he started planting everywhere he went. He planted on the gravel road. He planted in the fence row. And he planted on the good black Iowa dirt. And the only seed that produced fruit was the seed in the black dirt. And then I walked off. Before I walked off, though, I said, let everyone who has ears to hear, listen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming today. (laughs) Some of you would walk away scratching your heads like, what was that? Um, Not going back to that church. That was strange, right? (laughs) But the way Jesus ends... This parable is, is key, right? Jesus starts the parable by saying, listen. And he ends the parable by saying, listen. Let him who has ears to hear, listen. Jesus is talking about listening here. Uh, and I've, I've been married long enough to know the importance of listening, or at least I should know the importance of listening. Um, I've, you know, nodding your head at appropriate moments doesn't constitute listening. I've learned that uh, every so often when we're talking, and if I'm not quite paying attention and Amy senses that, she'll just throw something in there like, hey, I'm pregnant, by the way. And we're like, oh, okay, I'm back, I'm back, I'm here. And uh, Jesus is teaching here, and he's speaking about different types of listeners. Some that are good listeners, some that aren't. And, and today in this passage, this is going to explain a lot about people, kind of that second question of what does this say about us. It'll explain why some people, even though they grew up in church, even though they're, they're very smart um, and they've heard truth about God their whole life, they, they don't seem to really listen to the truth of Jesus. It'll also explain why for some uh, sermons are tough to listen to, or it's tough to, 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 to read the scriptures, and you just don't like, like hearing people talk about the word. You just don't enjoy it, if you're honest. 
It'll explain to you why, why two people can hear the same truth and walk away with two very different reactions. I'm, <laughs> I'm always surprised, you know, on a Sunday morning, like somebody might come up and be like, you know, wow, that was the most impactful sermon that I, you know, and then somebody else I might ask, and they're like, I don't really remember what you said. Like, what was that about, you know, about sin, right? You know, <laughs> um, and Jesus, right? Uh, and so, so I think it'll help us to understand a little bit of why there's so many different kinds of listeners. And, and, I, and I think also, most importantly, maybe, it'll help us understand why Jesus revealed himself in the way that he did. People sometimes ask, you know, why didn't Jesus make himself more obvious? Like skeptics often ask that question. Why didn't Jesus, or why doesn't he, even today, make himself more obvious to people? As we continue on in verse 10, it says this, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. So they gather in close, there's a few that gather in close and say, hey, what was that? You know, why, why do you speak in parables like this? That's such a great question. Like I said, many of us kind of wonder that. Why, why does God not reveal himself in a more obvious way? I mean, even in Mark, the demons proclaim that he's the son of God, but Jesus shushes them. I mean, we have a few things in Mark that point to who Jesus is, right? At the beginning of Mark, as we looked at last week, and, you know, the voice of God coming from heaven, different miracles, bits here and there. But then there, there's the whole parables thing. And the disciples are wondering, why don't you just come out and say it? Why don't you just tell everyone what exactly you mean? And my guess is that every single one of us have had that question in some form or another. You've asked, why, why doesn't Jesus make the truth more straightforward and obvious? If Jesus really is the Savior of the world, <laughs> you know, it, why doesn't he write it in the sky for everyone? If he was really God, when Jesus showed up on this, why didn't he just travel around kind of levitating, shooting lightning bolts out of his fingers for everyone to see if, why not have, you know, every time you open up the Bible, why not have it, you know, magically just like glow and talk to you? Or when, even better yet, when you're about to sin, why not just have this like booming Morgan Freeman voice, you know, coming from heaven, I'm watching you, right? <laughs> That'd be helpful. So why, why wasn't Jesus more aggressive in proving to everyone who he was, why did he leave room for doubt or confusion by telling parables? Well, did you notice in verse 10 here how the context of the audience changes? At the beginning, as Jesus is telling this parable, it's the crowds that are all gathered together. Jesus has amassed quite a crowd at this point. But then, but then afterwards, the audience changes. Now it's no longer this large crowd, now it's, it's, it's the disciples and a few others that have come together to ask him about the parables. There are the crowds that all heard it, but then there are those who drew close, that lingered afterwards, hungering for more. They're leaning in to truly hear. So verse 11, Jesus answers them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, 
they might turn back and be forgiven. What's Jesus talking about here? Doesn't he want them to come and be forgiven? Doesn't he want them to perceive and to hear? Well, you notice the little indentation here on the screen. That's purposeful because Jesus is actually quoting or paraphrasing Isaiah chapter 6. Some of you are familiar with Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah has this grand, glorious vision, heavenly vision of God. And he falls on his face, and God cleanses him with the coal from the altar. And then what does Isaiah say? He says, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me, Lord. Wherever you want to send me, send me. And so here's what God says to Isaiah. He tells him this. He says, I am going to send you. I'm going to send you to the people. And you're to speak my word to the people, Israel. And as you do this, it will dull their minds. And it will blind their eyes. And it will deafen their ears. God's telling Isaiah, hey, I am going to send you, and you're going to speak the truth. You're going to speak exactly what I want you to speak. And as you do that, let me tell you, Isaiah, they will become all the more deaf and all the more blind. They will harden their hearts to me all the more. And so in the same way, as Jesus quotes Isaiah 6 here, he's, he's saying, hey, this is what's happening when I speak in parables. The more people hear me and don't draw near and come close to hear more and don't, and don't believe, the more hardened they become until ultimately we know that at the end of Jesus' ministry, ultimately they crucify him, which was part of God's plan all along. And so that's why Jesus quiets the demons who want to proclaim that he's the son of God. If Jesus had showed up uh, glowing with thunder and lightning, striking down his enemies, you know, not, not only would they have never crucified him, but also he would have never had a chance to test their hearts. Whether truth was made plain or, or obscured depended solely on the heart of the hearer. The secrets of the kingdom of God were given to those who draw near to hear more because they hadn't hardened their hearts. But to, then those who were wanting to, to reject Jesus, who were full of unbelief, they then grew all the more hardened as they heard the truth and failed to respond to it. So the parables of Jesus, they're sort of like a, a doorway that you walk past. If you've ever been, you know, in a house that's full of people and, you know, different conversations happening and you walk past one room and you hear somebody talking about something and a little bit of it kind of catches your ear and if you're interested, you'll sort of veer over and join that conversation. If not, you'll keep walking. And the parables are just kind of a, a little bit that if, that if it catches you, if you're drawn to that, if, if it interests you, if your heart isn't hardened to the truth, You'll come and, and, and draw nearer to hear more. On the God question of what do we discover 
about God. We discover that God, in his wisdom, knows exactly how to reveal truth in a way that those whose hearts are open will receive it, and those who don't listen and have hardened their hearts will reject it. God never causes anyone to sin or reject him, but he will choose to reveal truth in a way that reveals what's in our hearts. Think about it this way. Suppose I told my, uh, my child very clearly they are not to climb up and get the cookies out of the hypothetical cookie jar. We don't have, does anyone have a cookie jar? I don't know. People talk about the cookies in the cookie jar. Um, Wayne does. Wayne puts them way up high. Um, but let's say you tell your child, don't climb up to get the cookies out of the cookie jar. And let's suppose I'm in another room out of sight watching as the child gets over a stool to see if they can reach the cookies. Now, as a parent, I have a choice I can make. I could burst in on the scene and kind of catch them and prevent them from doing it, but who knows? Maybe they were just pulling over a stool just to, I don't know, stand on a stool in the kitchen. Who knows? Or I could kind of wait back and remain out of sight and, and let what's in the child's heart come out. And in the same way, Jesus didn't reveal himself perhaps as fully as he could, because he wanted to reveal what was in our hearts. Listen to what Jesus says next. Verse 13, he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you, how then will you understand all of the parables? You can hear kind of Jesus' heart in this. Don't you, even my, my closest disciples who are leading in to listen, don't you at least understand this? Don't tell me you too are like the rest who have hardened their hearts. But then Jesus goes on to explain. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. So just to review, there are three elements of this parable. There's first the seed. The seed is the word of God. These are the teachings of Jesus. This is the, the message of the kingdom of God. This is the, the, the scriptures that we have today, which reveal, reveal everything we need to know about God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable, profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. It's the Word and the way that the Holy Spirit works through the Word that, that produces faith in the hearer to bring life. Faith is produced by what's heard. And so, let me ask you, do you really, really believe that God's Word can produce faith? Do you really believe that the seed can produce faith? A plant can take root in someone's life. So to follow this picture of a seed, even though it's, a, it's small, it can multiply greatly. And that just leads us to a question. What is Jesus asking of me? Well, he's asking us to sow the word. Parents, as you parent your kids, are you sowing the word in their life? I'm not just talking about, you know, quoting scripture at them right and left. I'm talking about are you sowing the word in their life, taking them to the scriptures, 
helping them see and understand the truth. Parents, if, if all you're sowing in their life is just kind of a, well, that's just how we do it around here. Or if it's, um, well, uh, this is either appropriate or not appropriate. If, if that's what you're sowing into the life of your kids, well, that, that might work for a two-year-old. It, but it doesn't work for a 12-year-old. It doesn't work for a 22-year-old. The other day, um, one of our kids, I was talking to, uh, uh, to one of our kids, and we were rushing to get out the door. We were running to do some errands, and was trying to get one of the kids to get a coat on. And for some reason, that was sort of a battle on that day, and we were sort of going back and forth about it. And finally, I said, um, just, you know, dad knows best, right? Have you done that with your kids? You know, dad knows best. And, uh, and he turned to me and said, actually. <laughs> I'm listening very closely at this point. He says, actually, dad, that's not true. Excuse me. Did I just hear that? Yeah, actually, dad, that's not true. God knows best. <laughs> okay, little man, you're, you're lucky this time, right? But I wonder if, is that what we're teaching our kids? We're sowing God's word in their life that, that God knows best. Or is it just kind of, hey, this is how we do things as a family. Mom and dad know best. As we disciple people, as we influence people, as we gather in small groups, as we, um, like Steve preached on a couple weeks ago, as we walk alongside others, are we bringing them to God's word? I love that picture in Luke chapter 24 of Jesus as he's walking with these disciples. He kind of does this thing where, you know, they're prevented from recognizing who he is. And it sort of allows us to see this picture of Jesus engaging with them, walking with them, relating to them, and taking them to the Word. Are we taking people to God's Word? Are we sowing the right seed? The second part of this parable is the sower, right? Uh, the sower is the messenger that takes the Word of God and brings it to someone else. Jesus certainly fits that role of the sower, but we see other examples of people in the Bible sowing God's word. Paul refers to himself as a sower. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Think about the person that helped lead you to Christ or influence you in that direction of coming to know Jesus. There were people in your life that were sowing, maybe parents, maybe Sunday school teachers, maybe a, a coworker or a friend. One of the things we notice about the sower is how generous he is with the seed. He just casts it left and right. Uh, some, sometimes we want to kind of look at the soil and sort of say, hmm, I don't know if that's good soil or not. But the sower in this parable doesn't do that. He throws it out and then we'll see what the good soil is. Spread the word generously. The, the soil then, the third part, is the human heart. And understand this, the problem is never the seed. The problem is always the soil. 
And there are four different kinds of soils that Jesus is about to explain to, to them what they mean and what they're about. There's four different ways that we listen and respond to the Word of God. There's the path. There's the hardened heart. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And so here, the, the seed doesn't sink into the ground because the ground is too hardened. It's too packed down. The soil is too well-worn and hard. These people might even be in church, and they might be hearing the truth, but immediately it's snatched away from their minds, and they never really think about it again. They just kind of dismiss it. Of, you know, this isn't really for me. This is, this is people like the Pharisees in the book of Mark. This is people like the scribes that are hardened toward Jesus. And I think this was me for many years. You know, as a uh, kid who grew up in church, in this church even, and heard the gospel faithfully proclaimed over and over and over, but I, you know, I didn't respond and listen. You know, hearing the truth can be very dangerous if you reject it time and time and time again, because eventually you grow more and more callous to it. And some of the people that are the most lost in the world are people that attend church every week and hear truth constantly, but don't respond and have hearts that are hard as stone. Then there's the rocky soil, uh, the shallow heart. Verse 16, there are others like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution come because of the word, they immediately fall away. There are many places in Israel that have rocky soil, maybe a couple inches of dirt, but on kind of this hard limestone bedrock. And so in these places, the seed might germinate and grow quickly, but the roots aren't deep enough. So as soon as it becomes dry, as soon as heat comes, there's, there's not enough root to soak in enough moisture. These are people that believe for a time, but their roots don't go deep enough. And when adversity comes, they, as Jesus says, they fall away. And notice it says that at first, they receive the word with joy. And that, that should be the response. When we receive the good news of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, but, but as soon as distress comes, as soon as adversity comes, that joy is easily crushed. When they, they realize that their family doesn't kind of understand and support them in this new faith journey, or, or when they have friends that begin to kind of treat them differently, or when people give pushback, ultimately they, they lose that faith that they once had. And, and Jesus tried to prepare us for this. Jesus tried to prepare us for the fact that we would encounter diversity. In John 16, he said, in this world you will have trouble. Paul told some of the disciples in Acts 14, he says, it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That's a great church growth message right there, you know. Who wants to sign up for some hardships today? The shallow hearts are those who believe long enough so that the, the, the seed can take root, but when adversity hits, they abandon Jesus. 
they fall away. And there's the thorns. That's the, the crowded heart. Others are like the seed sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And so here, the seed grows, but it has a lot of competition. There's other things growing too. These people, you know, they want to follow Jesus. They want to grow in their faith, but they just, they just can't seem to, you know, really surrender and really kind of adjust their priorities and their lifestyles. Instead of kind of killing off the weeds in their life, they, they feed them, they fertilize them, you know, they feed the distractions in their life. And it isn't that, that like following Jesus isn't um, something that's important. It's just that there's all these other things that take primary importance, you know, with the, the busyness of life and keeping up with, you know, politics and the, the kids' activities and, you know, all the, the, the rat race and the, the, you know, keeping up with, you know, managing finances and house and, and all of this. It's, it's not necessarily bad things that choke out the plant. It's just that God's Word gets choked out and crowded out. I, I looked at several different commentaries on this one, trying to figure out, you know, the person represented here as that seed germinates. Is this a genuine Christian, like an immature Christian, like a worldly Christian from, you know, maybe like 1 Corinthians 3 talks about that? Or is the person represented here not a Christian at all? And I, I looked back and forth at the different commentaries and all the different debates on, you know, is the person here really a Christian? And then they, did they not become a Christian or were they never a Christian in the first place and all of that? And we could spend time debating that. But, but regardless of that question and that debate, what's very clear here is you don't want to be this soil. If this is you, something needs to change. You need to stop giving yourself to the worries and riches and desires of this life and surrender yourself fully to Jesus. Then there's the good soil, the final one, the good soil, the fruitful heart. Verse 20, those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit. 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Again, this is good, good black Iowa dirt. When the seed is planted, it takes off, it multiplies 30, 60, 100 fold. The normal yield for a crop in that day would be 7 to 10 fold. So this harvest would have been considered miraculous. This is a person who puts their faith in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit invades their life. And does the, the miracle of regeneration and the miracle of new birth and the miracle of producing fruit in their life. This shows up in, in the fruit of how you treat people and transformation in your character. And also the fruit of uh, being a gospel witness and having an impact and making disciples. Fruit reproduces, right? Fruit in a believer's life is evidence of good soil. Now, the obvious question is, which soil am I? Do I have good soil? And some people wonder, how do you have good soil? You know, no one's naturally good. 
And you're right, Jeremiah 17.9 teaches us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so, so we know that the good soil isn't like moral goodness. That's not what Jesus is referring to here. Good soil is the willingness to hear, the willingness to listen to the word, the willingness to, to repent and respond, the willingness to recognize the sinful condition of our heart. And when we admit the sinful condition of our heart and our need for Jesus, that's, that's evidence of good soil. So what's Jesus asking of you? He's asking each of us to honestly look at the soil of our heart, because the problem's never the seed, it's always the soil. Which soil are you? In the first three, there's tremendous danger. Do you have a hardened calloused heart that's dead to the word? Do you have a shallow heart that receives the word, but only until the going gets tough? Do you have a crowded heart that's distracted by so many other competing desires? Or do you have a fruitful heart? One of these is you. One of these is me. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. God, we thank you for your word. God, I just want to take a moment and pause and allow each of us to soak in and reflect. God, may each of us respond right now in exactly the way that your Spirit is directing us. For some, maybe there's rich assurance and deep assurance of fruitfulness in our lives. For others, maybe there's a, a conviction of a hardness of heart. God, we know. We know that your Holy Spirit um, is at work in every person's life. And through the preaching of the word this morning, we know that your word can produce faith. And God, maybe there are others who are saying, I have a crowded heart, or I have shallow soil. God, show each of us how you want us to respond for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.